Hello everybody, uh, this is Jason from Talking Time Lords. I just want to give you a little bit of a cold open to let you know what's going on. We recorded this episode you're about to hear. This is our review of Extremis, and we recorded this the day or two after the episode aired. Uh, we had every intention of getting it out last week. Um, it just, unfortunately, some unforeseen circumstances happened. Uh, work stuff with Paul. I was out of town for five days at Phoenix Comic Con, and we just did not get this up. So apologies about that, but we hope you will uh, understand, and thank you for bearing with us as we get it out now. Uh, now, the plan for next week currently is as follows. We, um, as of right now, the Pyramid at the End of the World has already premiered. We've already seen it. Paul and I have each watched it. But um, we are likely going to be waiting to review that with the next episode that's about to air this weekend, The Lie of the Land. So we'll be doing a review of Pyramid at the End of the World with Lie of the Land together in one episode next week. That's the current plan. Uh, of course, things can change, but... That's likely what's going to happen. Now, for being patient and bearing with us, we might have some a bonus episode for you coming out this week. Uh, some panel audio from Phoenix Comic Con um, that I was able to get while I was there this past weekend. So um, I will let you figure out and guess who it might be, uh, because I'm not telling. Hmm. Uh, but that being said, I hope you enjoy our review of Extremis. And I hope you will enjoy the panel audio and stick around for our review of Pyramid at the End of the World and The Lie of the Land together next week. So thank you for bearing with us and enjoy the episode. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 71, Veritas. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Jason, is that you? Yes. It's a bit dark. I'm having trouble seeing here. I might need I might need your help over here. Um trying to figure out how to how to uh, uh, decipher this uh, and 
I might need some help over here. Uh, is that you? Uh, I, I, uh, I think I'll be going now. Um. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? It's going a lot better before the monsters came in and scared me. <laughs> Zombie monks. As if we didn't already have enough zombies in Doctor Who. I, I don't even know if I see them as zombies. I, I think I see them more as mummies. Yeah. yeah. They, they seem like they were mummified. Like we haven't seen those before. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a few of those too. <laughs> Pyramids of Mars much? Mm-hmm. 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 I love that episode. It's got one of the most terrible death scenes in all of Doctor Who but it's I love it so much are you remembering the one I'm thinking of I'm not quite sure I'm thinking that I might the death of the poacher yeah the death of the poacher (laughs) that was was just a terrible it looked terrible I don't know how it works it just was dumb (laughs) but we're not here to talk pyramids of Mars not at all. Uh, we're here to talk about the new episode of Doctor Who, Extremis. And boy, howdy, do we have a lot to say, I'm sure. <laughs> but before we get into Extremis, uh, there's a couple things that we need to get to first. Uh, first, we're going to kick things off with some of your thoughts on last week's episode, Oxygen. These are taken from our Talking Time Lords Facebook group page where we're getting into some more in-depth conversation about the new series. Jeff Waddell says, in regards to Oxygen, Favorite episode of Capaldi's run, along with Heaven Sent. Oh, how I wish we'd gotten any of this run in the mishmash of seasons 8 and 9. It just shows you how good the program can be when it's not companion-centric. And I wonder how that, you know, favorite episode will stand up to this week's episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one is more companion-centric than that last one was. This was kind of a nice uh, mixture, actually. Right. And then we got Chris Clark responding again. He says, I agree. Best episode of the season so far, and maybe Capaldi's best. I definitely noticed a problem, though, with the episode compared to some of Davies' episodes. Rose and Martha used to have side plots where they got to know side characters and delved into their story a bit to add depth to the episode. And in this, they were just there. I wish Bill had been given something more to do to flesh out the side characters a bit. It would have made the universe feel more rich and real. I loved the ending, though. We've never had a handicapped doctor before that I'm aware of, and I'm fascinated to see how they handle that. Will we get another tenant-style regeneration that doesn't change the face? I'm not sure how we can without the hand there to hold the energy. It would be really interesting to keep him blind for the rest of the season. I'd love to see them right around that. It could provide some interesting storytelling. <laughs> that's for sure, Chris. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually something um, that... Uh, Stephen Moffat chose to do later in the game, actually. Yeah. He was saying that he uh, he saw how that episode was written, and he saw that the original concept was for the Doctor to get his sight back at the end, and then he was like, you know, let's up the game a little bit. I'm going to bite the bullet and let this be a lasting thing. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be really interesting. Yeah. For at least a couple episodes. 
I don't think it's going to be a permanent thing. Like I said last episode, I think that this is going to be uh, the lead-in to his ultimate regeneration. Okay, yeah. Um, we'll have more thoughts on, on that, I'm sure, towards the end of this episode. <laughs> but we have a few little quick news tidbits for you. So let's jump over to the news. The first one is that we did receive confirmation that Missy is going to have a larger role this season than we first thought. We originally, I think, led to believe that she was only going to be in the finale, and then we got word she was going to be in Extremis. Now we know that she's going to be in at least one, possibly two more episodes. Yeah. Um, because apparently we've got a, a loose trilogy going on here with these these monks. I'm hearing that it's supposed to be a three-parter, uh, which is similar to what we got last season with the three-parter finale. So having a three-parter in the middle of the season could be interesting. It's not a strict three-parter in that it's the same story, but we're dealing with the same characters and the same villains, I think, is more what we're dealing with. That being said, we'll have to, to see what it's like going forward, because this looks interesting. I really like what I'm seeing so far. But yes, so Missy will be in more than just two episodes, more than just three episodes, probably four or five episodes this season. And that will be a sight to behold. Oh, I'm still looking forward to the Two Master episode. That will yeah. be something else. <laughs> and I still hope that my pipe dream is correct, but I know it won't be. So, <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that wants to know what that is, you can go look at it on our Facebook page. It's, it's right there for everybody to see. <laughs> yes, our Facebook group page. All right, uh, Paul, there was one other tidbit of information. It appears the rumor mill for who the next Doctor will be keeps on yes. spinning. What's the latest? Uh, the latest is that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be uh, possibly the next Doctor. She is in the movie The Iron Lady. She's also in the Amazon series that's uh, released in 2006, Fleabag, which has gotten some pretty good uh, acclaim, I think. Uh, but she's going to be in the upcoming untitled Han Solo movie. So that should be interesting to see. Of course, it kind of makes you wonder if she might end up being too busy <laughs> to uh, uh, take on a role like this, you know? But it, right. yeah, I mean, she has a right. unique look. She has a distinctness about uh, her face and things that I could see her playing that role because uh, she yeah. just kind of has that vibe about her. Of course, I, I would need to see her in more. I've not seen any of these things that, that I'm seeing that she's been in. And like I said before, I should probably rectify that. But just by looking at her photographs and stuff, she seems like somebody that could kind of fit in that role. Yeah. Yeah, she could. She, she's a beautiful lady, but in, an, in a non-traditional sort of way. And she's got a, definitely a unique look to her, including, uh, if I'm looking, you know, reading this right from looking at this right from her, some of her pictures online, a birthmark on the left side of her forehead that uh, is also a, a distinct feature as well. A lot of the pictures that she has, it's covered mm -hmm. up by her hair, but when she's got her hair pulled back, you can see it very clearly. That's an interesting feature about her that could be a distinct identifier if she were to play a doctor. Other than the fact, of course, that she's a woman. <laughs> so. She would also be the second brown-eyed doctor that we ever had, so... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that being said, I predict the rumor mill will continually turn up until and even after we get the announcement of who the next doctor will be because it'll it'll turn 
up until the hour, the minute before the announcement is made as to who it could be. And then as soon as the announcement is made, it'll be turning at infinitum as to who the runner-up was. Right? <laughs> I anticipate many, many more names to make their way to the top of the, the rumor heap. And I expect all of them to fall back to the bottom and someone who was not named or was named like ages ago to be the one who, to actually <laughs> give the role. That, that is my prediction. How fun would it be, though, for them not to actually make an announcement this time, for it to be completely unknown until the moment you see them on screen? I'd love that. I would really love that. But the problem is, is the Doctor Who set, it's not like a Star Wars set in how secretive it is. Because for those of you who aren't aware, Paul and I are big Star Wars fans. But with these new Star Wars movies, they are so secretive and the story is so locked down oh, yeah. that the, nothing gets out. Nothing gets out. Well, stuff gets out, but you know right. you cannot put very much stock <laughs> in it whatsoever. The Doctor Who set, somebody shows up to film, everybody knows about it. <laughs> everybody knows who's on set. I've noticed this. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where <laughs> I, if she shows up, if, if the new Doctor yeah. shows up to record, uh, <laughs> to film, someone's going to figure out who it is. And they're going to be like, oh, this has got to be the new well, Doctor. Now, here's you know. something they could do. And, and of course... They'd have to get kind of creative and imaginative sometimes, I think, to pull some of this stuff off just to keep it secret. They could actually have the person who's supposed to be taking on that role uh, come into the set dressed as a completely different character in the story. That way, anybody that is looking at it from the outside will not see that they're actually playing that role. Um, and they would possibly maybe be able to keep it secret that way as long as somebody didn't open their mouth. You know, from the set. Good luck you with know. that. But I mean, even it's even difficult with the Star Wars movies because I saw something online today where they were talking about uh, Diego Luna had been seen on the set of the um, untitled uh, Han Solo movie. You know, of course, it's very possible he's just going to visit the set to see what's going on. But, you know, the is suddenly the right, rumor mill starts that. coming up and saying, oh, that means that his character is going to be in this movie as at least some kind of a cameo 10 years prior to the events of, you know, <laughs> Rogue One, and, you know, and I'm going, mm, I don't know. I think he would know, be like, he'd be like 16. Probably, yeah. So <laughs> he'd be like, he'd be a mid teenager. I don't think Diego, Diego Luna is a great actor. Yeah. But I don't think he can play himself as a teenager the way he looks now. <laughs> so, you know, well, you know, the only so. way that that would work is if they de-aged him like they did a couple of Marvel movies they put out recently. And what it looks like they're going to do with Johnny Depp in the new... Yeah, Captain Jack. Yeah, Captain Jack in the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. Anyway, we're way off topic now, so... <laughs> we're, what we're saying is it's a possibility that this could happen, but it's very unlikely that it will happen without us and not knowing something about it ahead of time. <laughs> right. That's the nutshell. Right. Uh, and they they do like their their doctor announcements, so <laughs> they they commandeer all the live television stations for that. So I did see something funny online the other day uh, where Peter Capaldi was talking about when he got cast as the doctor, and he was talking about how he was shooting on another uh, movie, and he was shooting. I think it was in Brazil, and this little boy came up to him and said. I love you as Doctor Who because he didn't he wasn't speaking very good English and and Peter knew about it but he couldn't tell anybody and he's looking at this kid and he's thinking how did how did this kid know and come to find out he was talking about the episode of uh, Pompeii that he was in he he loved him in that in that oh. episode and he's like oh oh yes yes I tell you what 
go get your camera and and uh, take my picture with you and I'll sign it and then then you can have a picture with me from Doctor Who because he's thinking this kid's gonna want this picture in about six months. <laughs> right. <laughs> He said, but for some reason on that particular day, he didn't seem that interested in having his picture made with me. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he he almost let the cat out of the bag that day, he said. That's funny. <laughs> all right. Well, well, let's go ahead and, and stop going on uh, about all this other stuff. Let, let's talk about extremists. Right, so Extremis is the sixth episode of Series 10 of the revamped Doctor Who. It was written by Stephen Moffat, of course, <laughs> directed by Daniel Netheim, and was originally released on May 20th, 2017. The brief synopsis is as follows. The Vatican asks the 12th Doctor to investigate a mysterious book called The Veritas. All who read The Veritas immediately kill themselves. When a translation of the Veritas is leaked online, the Doctor must face up to the inevitable truth. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, Paul, initial spoiler-free thoughts on <laughs> Extremis. Oh, wow. Um, to be perfectly honest, if I hadn't really been paying attention the first time around, which is one of those rare instances which I didn't have my three-year-old in the room with me the first time, <laughs> if I hadn't been able to pay very close attention, I would have been completely lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you have that transition take place, and you know which transition I'm talking about, it, they don't make it clear as to the fact that that transition has taken place in the story. <laughs> and you don't figure it out until the end of the story <laughs> that it has actually happened. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, but it was very interesting because there were things happening in the episode that stood out to me that made me think, well, wait a minute, that, that's not right. That's not supposed to be that way. Why is this that way? You know, and uh, so there were little Easter eggs implanted through the thing that told me that something was not right. Yes. And uh, it, <laughs> I know I sent a message to you as soon as it was over and said, what did I just watch? <laughs> <laughs> and my response was, don't tell me. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> yeah. So I honestly, I watched it again the next day. And then again today, this is the third day, or actually it's two days after the actual showing of the original night when we're recording this. And all the times that I saw this, I actually had to look for the little nuances and stuff in this because it was done so subtly and so interestingly and i really enjoyed it once i got to sit down and savor it for how it was told but the first time i watched it i i literally was almost flabbergasted and, and wondering what i had just watched <laughs> <laughs> i can't understand why <laughs> all right my quick you know initial spoiler free thoughts um <laughs> This episode, uh, <laughs> I really like this episode. <laughs> I really like this episode. It has some great humor. It really, yeah. you know, set up a great storyline that looks like we're going to get 
introduced a new villain who I really like. I like these new bad guys. And it was unpredictable. It's it's not uh, it wasn't a predictable thing. It it went to places that I didn't think it was going to go. I thought I had it figured out, but then I didn't. <laughs> I I liked it a lot. I'm really interested to see where we go with this story. I'm not going to say much more here in my spoiler-free <laughs> comments because I I can't talk around some of this stuff without getting into the details. Really though, guys, if you haven't seen this episode, why are you listening to this episode of our podcast? I mean, you really should. Go watch the episode. Go go please, <laughs> you you must. I mean, some of the other ones are simpler to follow if you're just listening to the podcast. <laughs> this one, you really need to see the episode. It's 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 a much more complicated episode than we've been getting. Yeah. But that is definitely by design. So uh, they've they've had some more simple uh, stories, you know, creating the relationship of between the Doctor, Nardole, Bill, and all these characters. They've been really forging them in some more innocuous adventures. Then we get Oxygen last week, where things get stepped up a notch, and now we're into epic world saving consequences yet again. <laughs> and I think with that, let's 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 start diving into some of the details here. Spoilers. So first of all, we have two stories kind of going on in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. we got the uh, <laughs> the Shadow World story, the, the Veritas <laughs> story, the uh, and then we've got the a long time ago on a distant planet story, the Missy story. I almost... the, Hey, that's why Nardole's there. Story. I almost expected <laughs> to see in a galaxy far, far away there because when when they started the episode, it was like last episode when when they started it and they said space, the final frontier, and I'm thinking, really, you went right. there? That's Star Trek all the way. And then this one starts out a long time ago, and I'm thinking, really, you're going to say it next, aren't you? In a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I wish they had. I wish they had. That would have been awesome. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, oh. Which story do you want to cover first? Because I, they they weave the stories you know back and forth throughout the episode. But I think for discussion's sake, it's easier if right. we break it down and talk about each story separately. The way I thought we should do is talk about the Missy story first. because That's the most straightforward. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor is being escorted to this place of execution. He's not being executed. Missy is. She's been captured by these people. I'm not sure who they are exactly. They have what the the fatality index that sort of determines, you know, a lot of things for them. I'm not sure who they they're, are. They're they're um, set up to be sort of the intergalactic executioners of everything. <laughs> yes, and 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 they take great pride in their job. Yeah, because they know how to kill everything that's out there alive. You know, it's, it's everything has a special way of dying. Yes, and and <laughs> they they're the only ones who can do this. And they relish that not only do they take great pride in their job, but this guy in particular who's in charge really seems to like his job, <laughs> which you not I'm not sure that's a good thing for an executioner. Good job for a psychopath. Oh, that's true. <laughs> the doctor is brought there because one stipulation about executing Time Lords is that it must be done by another Time Lord. And not only does a Time Lord have to be the one to, to commit the execution, but then the body has to be stored and guarded in a quantum chamber for a thousand years in case of relapses. In case it didn't take. Right? 
Yeah. In case of relapses, life can be such a tricky enemy. Oh. Oh, you think? <laughs> Especially when one is a Time Lord and a crafty, devious Time Lord like Mizzy. You know, this is um, this is something that I was thinking when we wa- when when I was watching this. Um, I understand why they told the story this way. I understand that they wanted to keep the mystery of the vault and the whole nine yards. I get all of that. But, you know, watching this and being able to see how the story unfolds and everything, really would have liked to have seen this kind of be the cold opener for the story that came right after The Husbands of Riversong, uh, just so that we can kind of see how everything fits together. I, I get the creative reasons behind it. This is just one of those rare instances where I just kind of would have liked to have seen this before everything else. I, I can understand that, but I like the way it played out here. I like the way that they drew it out and <laughs> made us wonder and question. Although, Stephen Moffat goes, yeah, I wasn't going to keep this going for the whole season because people would have figured it out by episode four, which <laughs> a lot of people did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, Missy seems actually concerned in this. Yeah. What has she done? I wonder. It's not really told. Well, um, other than just being bad generally. We know that she came from Scarrow to here. Yes. We do know that. Yes, because she mentions the word among the Daleks about what the Doctor's been up to on Derillium. And canonically, this is not the first time that she has been on Scarrow with the Daleks that way. And it's not the first time that she's been set up to be executed. Ah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Perhaps she was sent up to be executed by the Daleks again. Possibly. Because in the Eighth Doctor movie, and you're about to bring this up, yeah. it opens with the Master being executed by the Daleks. And right. Maybe they're going, well, we didn't do it right the first time, so let's send her to this sect of executioners who know what the heck they're doing. Um, maybe that was the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. It would. So that's just kind of where I went with it in my head okay. when I saw this. So she's kneeling on this this almost like sacrificial altar is what it looks like waiting for the doctor to throw the switch and end her life. And a monk walks up and (laughs) the executioner guy goes, did one of you request a priest? And (laughs) Missy's like, I didn't. The doctor goes, apparently I did because the monk beckons to him. (laughs) Did you know who this was from the start? Honestly, because of the build, I kind of figured that out. I figured it out quick. When he was talking under the hood, I was like, oh, please tell me this is who I want it to be. Please tell me this is who I think it is. And then, yes, it was not. So now we know why Nardole is with the doctor. River sent him. Oh, yeah. Because he comes and he reads a passage out of her journal, which presumably he's picked up from the library after the 10th doctor was there. See, this made sense to me because not only would he have picked up her diary from that library, he could have spoken to her in the computer system while he was there. Yes. And she could have sent him on this mission from there. Right. I think it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he was her lackey in the Husbands of River Song anyway. Right. He was the one who was sent out to go (laughs) retrieve the doctor to heal Hydroflax. Get this. Before I watched this the second time, mm-hmm. I went back and watched The Husbands of River Song with my wife because she had never seen it before. Oh, that's such a good story. So I went back and watched The Husbands of River Song 
and then watched this again and it had a completely different feel to it the second time I watched it because I had just finished watching The Husbands of River Song. I almost wish that I had gone back and watched the library episodes too, uh, but I didn't want to take the, the extra time to do that. Oh, yeah. That's um, so funny. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that she sent, of all people in the galaxy, yeah. in the universe, in all the time <laughs> and space, that River could have sent to go after and watch after the Doctor, she sent Nardle. <laughs> it was it was really it was really funny watching the Husbands of River Song again when uh, Hydroflax's body is in trying to interrogate Nardle and he is telling him, "Look, I don't really know anything. She just hired me, you know." <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, you know, of course, we know the results of that is he stole his head. Right. The the interesting thing there is that. Apparently, he has more allegiance to her than just a higher E. Well, he he did spend 24 years on Derillium in the Hydroflex <laughs> suit with the Doctor and River. So, well, you know, we really don't know if he spent the entire 24 years in this suit or not. Right, right. Well, he, he spent it there on Derillium, we can assume, you know, <laughs> as one of their personal butlers. Yeah. Is what we can assume anyways. Honestly, what I figure happened, I figure that the Doctor spent all that time with River, and then... Because of Nardole being such a good friend, he went back to where Nardole lost his body, fixed him, and then left him to go find River's diary, basically. Yeah. Right. And, well, um, and, then the, and then left him <laughs> to wander on his merry way, and yeah. Nardole went to the library, picked up yeah. River's diary, and, uh, <laughs> and received his instructions. And he is the only one <laughs> authorized to kick the doctor's ass. <laughs> yeah. I've been authorized <laughs> to kick your ass. <laughs> the doctor just sort of looks at him like, okay, oh. I'd like to see you try, maybe? <laughs> I, I almost wonder, I almost wonder if he would actually be able to do it. <laughs> I'd like to see him try. But needless oh. to say, Nar Nardle is there to make sure that the doctor doesn't do something stupid and actually murder his a long-time frenemy, the Master. <laughs> uh, because it's not something your missus would approve of. Right. Right. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. She's, she walks the line between hero and rogue, whereas the Master, Missy, walks the line between villain and rogue. Because rogue's kind of in the middle there. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's so much that she sees good in the Master or Missy as much as if the Doctor does this, how much it will destroy his soul. Yeah. What little there is that's not already tainted. And she's still out to protect him. Hence Nardle. Which yeah. I think is hysterical that, that she's got Nardle out to protect the Doctor. <laughs> but of well, course the Doctor has already fiddled with the settings on the execution machine thing and Missy's not actually dead. That was funny. <laughs> it was. Get your hands off me. Show some respect for the dead. <laughs> <laughs> what? She's still alive. Didn't work. Of course not. Oh, don't worry. I'm just really tired. Good night. She goes back to sleep. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> he basically zapped all the energy out of her, I think, yeah. is what it looks like. <laughs> and then he, he has Nardle help stick her in the quantum chamber, and that's the <laughs> vault that he's been guarding all this time. He subdued her, but he didn't kill her. Right. 
By the way, did you notice just how classic who the machine they used to kill her looked? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely classic who. It's a big lever that was connected to four pillars that each <laughs> shoot a beam and from either corner straight at her. Yeah, yeah. very <laughs> minimalistic classic death machine. Uh, that you'd see in the classic series. Well, not only that, it had slight visual aspects of the eye in the Eighth Doctor movie with the, the four pillars yeah. on the corners and stuff, which is yeah, the Eye of Harmony. Yeah, yeah. So there, you know, that kind of had a classic Who vibe to it too. But something else that I caught in this, it wasn't an exact copy or whatever, but the castle that was in the background of this. Had a very similar look mm -hmm. to the castle that the doctor was in last season. Hmm. <laughs> Intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I do like the fact that uh, the doctor makes up his own rules and he's going to watch over the body for a thousand years, which is what he agreed to do, not kill his friend. And of course, the executioner is protesting and the doctor's like, you know, look up in the fatality index. Look up the doctor. Under cause of death. <laughs> and the thing just goes nuts. Ding, 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 <laughs> yep. And so the executioner goes, oh, uh, yeah, uh, sure, uh, bye. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and everybody leaves. It, it sounded like it was uh, almost like a Morse code machine or something. You know, it was tick, 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 He couldn't turn it off. It just kept going. I kept thinking if it had paper paper tape coming out of the end of it, you know, uh, typing this stuff out. I, I kept thinking it would have been funny to have seen it just keep, continue to come out and roll up on the ground and, you know, just... <laughs> what is that? Dalek sex, is it... Dalek con. <laughs> what is it? Ticker tape, I think is what they call that? I don't know. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dalek 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 18 million, 18 million and 1, 18 million and 2, you know? <laughs> How many Daleks alone? Every Dalek in this universe, you know. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so that explains the vault. Missy's in the vault. And Nardole is there to ensure that the Doctor lives up to his promise and to keep watch on the Doctor for River. Now, you get the idea that Nardole can't be all human because you can imagine this has been a long time ago and we're nearing the end of the thousand years. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, uh, it says it was a long time ago. I'm guessing we're nearing the end of the thousand yeah. years because Missy's bound to get out. Um, <laughs> and it already seems like there's been movement in this thing recently. Well, the indication that I got was that he was considering letting her go early. But, right. You know. <laughs> but, you know, what's 50 years between friends? <laughs> it depends on who's in the box. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, 50 years in the box for me doesn't sound too appealing. If you're a Time Lord, however. <laughs> Jason, don't get any ideas. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care if it is bigger on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> I got you a piano. <laughs> oh, well. You can play Pop Goes the Weasel. Um, <laughs> I'd have plenty of time to learn how to play. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else on the, the Missy execution storyline that you want to get to? Well, the vibe that I got from this, it almost feels like that their intention is to in some way 
subdue the master somewhat. Okay. With the events of this taking place with Missy. Um, and I could be completely off base with that. You know, it could just be one of those scenarios of we're friends, but I'm going to do a bunch of stuff to piss you off. <laughs> and so I really don't know how to feel about that. It, you know, but just the interaction in this one scene and the fact that he spared her life gives me the impression that they could be intending to take that character in a direction that is less villainous in the future, if that makes sense. Oh, um, I doubt that. More more roguish I, and less villainous, if you get what I'm saying. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I can see where they might do that, but I doubt it. She, you know, she pleads for her life. She says, I'll be good. Train me to be good. And the doctor might try and teach her, but mm-hmm. it's never going to stick. Not with the master. Kind of makes you just, wonder, though. Yeah. Um, it makes you wonder, but I, I, I highly doubt it. I, I think he might try, and maybe, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation will come up, and they'll fight together to take care of this monk menace. Well, they've fought together before, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, because he spared her life, so she'll help him out here, but after this business, I'm on my own. Goodbye. <laughs> and we'll meet again one day, and we'll be on opposite sides of a situation yet again. I, I think that's more likely than anything, is that they'll work together here... She'll probably have something to do with why we're seeing the Cybermen back in this form at the end of the season and gotten herself in way over her head, which is why she needs to call in a previous regeneration. One of the reasons I <laughs> and, sort of feel this way, though, is because we kind of played with the idea in the past of the Master maybe being a former friend of the Doctor, but there's been way too many times that the Master has wanted to kill the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And so now you're kind of moving back in the direction of the master acknowledging that the doctor is his friend. And you haven't really seen that in forever, basically. And so it kind of just makes me wonder if they're intending to take the character in a different direction. You know, they may they may try and make us think they are, but I doubt I doubt they will ultimately stick with that. I don't know. All right. Let's get to the other story that's woven in and out of this episode. <laughs> and this episode seemed a lot longer than it was because of how much they crammed into it. I'm I'm almost surprised yeah. to go back and look and say, oh, it really was an hour program with the commercials. It's like, oh, that's interesting. But the doctor is there guarding his vault and admitting his blindness to Missy. Yeah. And he gets an email in his Sonic Shades. Sonic Specs, Sonic Sunglasses. They're back. And I like the way they're being used here because they're sort of a rough echolocation device sort of for him. Yeah. Computer device for him to kind of see. But he opens the email and then the episode starts. You know, we get the the, the, the intro and then we jump into this. And the doctor is met by a contingent from the Vatican. Yeah. Including the Pope who wants to come and seek a personal audience <laughs> with the doctor. Now, did you notice, I'm sure you did, the... The translator, mm-hmm. the TARDIS's translator, was not working mm-hmm. in this situation. Mm-hmm. That was the first indicator that I noticed that said, something's not right here. <laughs> yep, because the Pope spoke in Italian. Yeah. And the TARDIS <laughs> and didn't he, translate it. Yeah, and, and that's that was something that they very clearly uh, made a distinction to tell you in the very first season with the Ninth Doctor as this is the reason why everyone speaks English. Yes. Because that was something that the show used to get criticized about back in the classic era of, 
well, why does everybody in the show speak English when they're all from different planets and stuff? And that was very quickly addressed when the show started back up so that that would not be one of those deterrents for people to enjoy the show. Right. That was not the case in this episode. No. And yeah. And so it, it was something that hit me immediately. I was like, wait a minute. Why is TARDIS not translating? You know? Right. So, of course, the reason why the Pope and the the Cardinal and the priests are there are because they, they need the doctor to read something for them. There is a document in the Hereticum, which is where the, the Catholic Church keeps all their heretical writings so that they cannot be disseminated. A document there called the Veritas. The translation has been lost to an early Christian sect that all committed mass suicide after translating it. It has been attempted to be translated again over the years, but everyone who has worked on it or read it has died a very gruesome, suicidal fashion. And it's <laughs> confirmed suicides. It's not like, you know, someone's making it look like a suicide. Of course, I'm not, I'm not giggling because suicide is funny. I'm, I'm giggling because of the reasoning behind all of this, you know? Yeah. And... <laughs> The Vatican is getting very worried about this because they've they've just had a group of people who are trying to translate it, it seems, within the last couple of days. And they've all died. Except one dude. Yeah, but he's <laughs> missing and presumed dead. So, yeah, they're, they're really worried. They're really concerned. And the doctor comes on the highest recommendations from Pope Benedict IX, which in yeah. historical terms was a pope that was rather scandalous in history, and I don't know the full history there, yeah. but the doctor seems to indicate uh, that the Pope was a woman and there may have been a uh, relationship there. Yeah, that was <laughs> another thing that indicated to me that something wasn't right is the fact that we suddenly have a gender-swapped Pope, mm -hmm. and there has never in the history of ever been a female Pope. So that was another thing that, that sent up a red flag for me, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> hold up, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. this ain't right, you know? Right. And uh, so, yeah, I, I kept seeing these things and I kept saying, okay, what just happened here? <laughs> you know, right. This, this is an one indicator after another that there's something has gone haywire. Yeah. And while the, the real Pope Benedict the ninth ruled in a time where he was full of scandal, he was male. So he was a very scandalous yeah. Pope. But he was male. <laughs> so the doctors come on this recommendation of a pope from the early, the early thousands. So this this recommendation comes over a millennia ago, and has been held on to by the Vatican. Yeah, because uh, they never throw anything away. Apparently not. No, everything's <laughs> kept somewhere. Maybe in the Hereticum, but everything's kept somewhere. Um, <laughs> so uh, that being said, the doctor is asked to read Veritas to find out what it really is, because. They they are very concerned. The doctor, of course, agrees, but neglects to mention the fact that he's blind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move to when the, the Bill gets picked up. This is a funny scene. Bill has brought someone home. Yeah. <laughs> and they're having a nice <laughs> cup of tea, Bill and Penny, and uh, it's, it's, it's lovely. And then Bill's pipes in her room start groaning i say pipes <laughs> right and it, yes 
And she says, uh, yes, the pipes in my room. And be warned, sometimes I yell at them. <laughs> the look that she gets on her face when she starts hearing the TARDIS landing is the same look that I get from you sometimes when I say something questionable. <laughs> <laughs> course then all of a sudden the pope bursts out of her bedroom yelling in italian that this isn't the vatican i think is what he's saying <laughs> and penny's like that was the pope in your bedroom that was the freaking pope right <laughs> and, and bill's like yeah uh give me a minute i'm going to have a severely awesome word with someone <laughs> Which, i love that that turn of phrase so she's getting ready to rip someone a new one. She goes into her room. TARDIS is sitting there and four priests are in the corner. <laughs> uh, of course, Penny decides to follow and sees this and just bolts. Yeah. Which prompts Bill to stomp back into the TARDIS, telling the priest in the corner, you're all going to hell. <laughs> and they just sort of shrug at her. <laughs> so talk about uh, talking about a blocked situation. I mean... <laughs> mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the wet towel scenario if I've ever seen one. <laughs> wet blanket. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it puts a damper on just about everything. I know. <laughs> of course, you know, the situation is quickly explained to Bill, and they're off. They're off to the Vatican, where they go to read the Veritas. Did you notice that this was yet again a augmented reality situation that took place in a library? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about Stephen Moffat and augmented reality and libraries? We don't know. He apparently really likes it. Well, he said in the interview that I read, he said books are augmented reality. Yes, so. true. <laughs> so apparently that's his reasoning behind this. Right. But if you think about it, we just got finished talking about River in the library and Nardole having to go to the library to get her diary. And that was the foreshadowed episode, I guess, to this, if you think about it that way. It's exactly the same type of scenario. If you watch that right before this, you, you see almost the mirroring of that once again in this story. Yeah. <laughs> A strange portal lights up in the Hereticum, and the cardinal who's guiding them goes to investigate it, and he gets pulled into the wall by some creepy hands. Yeah. <laughs> That's not good. Oh, and then we meet the no. other guy, the other translator who's missing. He's sitting in the cage with the Veritas, and he's apologizing for sending it. He's sitting there with, uh, with a lunchbox with a bunch of food and a laptop, and he's been sending emails, including emailing the translation of the Veritas to CERN, which is a... Uh, what is this? It's a research laboratory that has the world's largest collider in it. Yes. Yes. So he, he has sent it off to them. And uh, they've responded with, uh, please pray for us. <laughs> Which uh, causes causes this priest to run off with a gun in hand. And the doctor, upon hearing a gunshot, sends Bill and Nardole to go investigate. So that he can be left alone with the Veritas. Now the doctor's blind this whole time. And he's trying to hide it. And trying to work around it. Yeah. What did you? How did you think he dealt with all of this? Honestly, I felt like that he was being just a little bit too stubborn. 
in the way that he was going about this because I felt like that he should have relied more on his friends to help him in the fact that he didn't have full capabilities the way he has before. You know, at some point you're going to have right. to acknowledge the fact that you don't have 100% of your faculties in this type of scenario and that you're going to have to have somebody to help you. And I think that a lot of times when somebody gets put in that position where they lose one of their capabilities, it's so difficult for them to really treat that in an honest way. It's so difficult for them to, to look at that in a realistic manner. They want to make it something that isn't real. They want to make it something that is going to go away, you know. And the reality of the situation is sometimes you have to acknowledge that it's not going to go away and that you have other people there that care about you for a reason. Mm -hmm. Let's just be honest. He's the type of character in general that's going to have a problem doing that. Yeah, no, he's definitely going to be the type of character who's going to have problems doing that. And, and, and Nardal confronts him about it. Nardal says, you know, you know, I understand not wanting to let your, your enemies in on the secret, but why not tell Bill? Uh, and the doctor sort of tries to dismiss that. And Nardal says, no, here's why. Because the minute you tell Bill is the minute it becomes real. And you can't yeah. confront that. You can't face that. And the doctor goes, well, then I'm never going to tell her now. Thank you. You know, essentially. <laughs> so, I appreciate your logic. <laughs> yes. You're an idiot. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Um, <laughs> but, no. but yeah, no, it, I, and, and it's funny because he tries to rig up this little contraption to give him some eyesight back temporarily so he can read the Veritas. And it's something that he's stealing vision from his future, essentially is what he says. Something to that effect. And maybe, you know, if he doesn't know how it's going to affect the future for him, maybe his future regenerations will be blind. Maybe he won't regenerate at all. Of course, we know that's not the case because this is the shadow world and this is just the simulation and it's not real. Um, oh, did I skip ahead on that? Oops, my bad. Um, <laughs> Which means that this will have absolutely no bearing on his future whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. So, but he does, he does cobble together some eyesight just in time to meet our villains. <laughs> What'd you think about our, our scary mummy monks? I like the way that they were introduced in the fact that the doctor had uh, no way of seeing them when they first came up. I thought that was really a nice way to introduce them. I thought that it was very creepy, <laughs> you know, because yeah. he could have very easily, you know, had they been murdery, uh, you know, up front, that he could have very easily lost his life right there. Right. But... One of the things that intrigued me about them is the way that they moved and the way that they looked in general. I think I brought this up to you a little bit. It kind of, it, it almost gives me a theory. And I don't know if we want to wait until the end for me to talk about the theory or not. But Let's wait on that theory. Okay. The way that they moved, the way that they, that they looked in general, and the way that they spoke kind of felt distinctive to me mm -hmm. because they just they opened their mouths and they, they they didn't articulate any words whatsoever they just opened their mouths and a voice fell out you know yeah 
the vocal cords produced. Which is kind of creepy in, in itself, you know. Right. But it's not the first time that we've seen that in a villain. No. And uh, so, you know, that that's something that that's something that struck me right out of the gate. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I've seen that before, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there was a familiarity to them, even though it felt like something new. But we'll get to that later. Yeah, I, I don't want to go too much deeper into that because I'll have to start talking about theories and stuff. So, <laughs> I I like these villains. I think these villains are going to be great. It's nice to have a new a new villain to really sink your teeth into for a new season, and I think this will this will live up as a as a fairly memorable one. I'm excited. Bill and Nardole wind up in a portal. They go into the portal. <laughs> And there are doors to other portals. They go in saying to themselves, you know, this is really stupid. We probably shouldn't do this. And they go and do it anyway. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, okay, classic companions right there, you know. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It it, it was funny. It was funny because they're they're looking at this portal. They're just standing there in the hallway sort of, you know, fidgeting back and forth a little bit, looking at this portal. And Bill goes, you're right. And Nara goes, what? (laughs) We really shouldn't. It could be very dangerous. And Nardle Cork sort of nods. And then simultaneously, they both walk towards it. <laughs> like, yep, right. this is going to happen. <laughs> in, ta- in tandem. <laughs> Almost synchronized. <laughs> right. It was great. It was great. <laughs> and, and they start peeking through some of these other portals. And they find themselves at CERN. And CERN is getting ready for a countdown of some sort. Was this as creepy to you as it was to me? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, the countdown is for the the dynamite that's, you know, literally just thrown under and stacked under each of the tables in the cafeteria there. Oh, um, yeah. They're all going to end, end it together. They're going to go out together. But why? Because they've read the Veritas. And they're all smiling. Right. They're smiling. They're having a last good drink. Oh. And they're, they've got a countdown going. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, you know, one last hurrah before, before they all blow themselves up. This felt like some kind of creepy cult activity or something. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, <laughs> and then they start the number oh. thing. They realize Bill and Nardole weren't there. They haven't read the Veritas. And they're like, okay, let's give you some insight here into what's going on. And they have (laughs) them both think of a number at the same time. And as soon as the guy smacks the table, they're supposed to say it. And they both say 36. He smacks the table again. They both say the same number. And again. And again. And then he keeps increasing the intensity and the speed, and then soon he's doing it with them, and then everyone else in the room is doing it with them, and it's the same number in the same order, and it's really freaky. And it's freaking Nardle yeah. out, it's freaking Bill out, and this guy who's in charge at CERN is just sort of laughing his head off about the whole situation. <laughs> this had kind of a body snatching kind of feel to it, you know? Um, yeah. It's the shadow yeah, test, it, I think is what they called it. Yeah, this this had a, a very body snatchers kind of feel to it because nobody felt normal in this scenario. Nobody felt natural. Everybody seemed like some kind of uh, grinning 
hollow entity or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just a bit on the creepy side. Just a bit. <laughs> so Nardole oh. and Bill race out of there right before the countdown hits zero, and they're all blowed to bits. And Nardole makes the discovery that this is all a simulation and that this central portal room is full of projectors projecting the worlds that they've gone through and looked into out into those realities. He's a lot smarter than, it's than a, he appears to be in this show. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he figures out what's going on. He figures out that this is a simulation. And then he's like, uh, well, what happens if we step out of the light of the projectors? Yeah. And he goes and he's like, please tell me I'm wrong. Please tell me I'm wrong. And he sticks his hand out of the light and it just pixelates. And he falls yeah. apart in the pixels because he's part of the simulation. It's, it's like something straight out of Tron. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, oh, God, Darnold, no. Um, <laughs> Bill, Bill, help me. I'm not real. Right. <laughs> and then pixel out and he's gone. Bill goes to try the same oh, thing, God. but just can't follow through and keeps herself yeah. in the light. She walks up and goes, nope, nope, not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. She walks up and follows a blood trail leading from the Vatican into another one of these portals because the doctor has managed to escape these mummy monk thingies. Um, the mummy monks. <laughs> get the mummy monks. They're, they're freaky as all get out. <laughs> She follows the, the trail of blood into this other portal, which ends up being the Oval Office in the White House <laughs> in Washington, D.C. And the president has taken a bottle of pills and is sitting there slumped into a chair looking out the window. And and uh, Stephen Moffat said about this scenario, he said uh, that they they didn't know until like a week or two before they shot this as to whether or not they were going to cast a male or a female president in this scenario because he said that, right he, he said it was written he said it was written uh, for with a genderless president listed in the, the script but it was filmed after the election and so they didn't know until after the election which which they were going to cast for this a male or a female president right <laughs> right i like the attention to detail there though right the person that cast while, while it is a male president is, is definitely dark haired and and not not very much yeah. a representation of, of our current president. So, um, you know, they at least, you know, they, they want to get sort of the general idea of, of the president there. Because we didn't get a good look at him anyways. We just saw the back right, of his head as right. he slumped over into the chair. Um, and the doctor is sitting at the, <laughs> at the president's desk in the Oval Office. And he's just finished listening to the Veritas. He, tur he turned it into an audio book. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and basically it reveals just what Nardole figured out, that everything's a simulation, that this simulation has been created by this alien race who is planning to invade Earth. And this simulation is their way of testing how well their invasion will go. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> there, there's something rattling around in there. What, what's up? Uh, well, I'm just thinking of my theory. <laughs> oh, okay. All of a sudden, Bill pixelates out yeah. because one of these aliens has walked into the Oval Office with the Doctor and has gotten rid of Bill. And they have this final confrontation, showdown discussion between the two of them. And and the Doctor finally figures out how he can warn reality that this is coming. 
how he can get word out, because even the most mundane subroutine can do one thing. Send an email. Yeah. And he uses his sonic shades that has been collecting all the data to send an email to himself in the real world about <laughs> what's going on. And that's when the simulation starts to sputter and fizzle out and we are snapped back into reality. And the doctor's sitting there on the floor in front of the <laughs> vault, having just watched this on his sonic shades. And this is where I was sitting there and I was going, what, what, wait, what, what, <laughs> what just happened? You know, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> because um, when he first yeah. received the email, they cut to commercial. And when they came back from commercial, then they're showing what you assume to be a time lapse. <laughs> but it's not a time lapse. It's a video. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like I like how the email starts with the Doctor Who introduction, with the the names and everything, the credits and everything, you know. Right. Because we get the, you know, <laughs> static fizz and then that starts. So, you know, he he had time to edit in right. an introduction to to the email. <laughs> <laughs> And so the doctor is now made aware of what's going on. He tells Bill to seize the opportunity with this Penny girl, who's way out of her league, is what she says here in reality. And he says, seize the opportunity, basically, carpe diem, because something big is coming, and I think it's going to be very bad, and we don't know how long we've got. And it's funny, because Bill doesn't kind of, she kind of doesn't question it. She just goes, okay. Like, she's, you know, ready for it, almost. Like, as long as we're all working together, things will be fine, but... She doesn't kind of question it. She just goes, okay. And then we end with the doctor telling Missy that he's going to need her help to fight this invasion. And and yeah. that's kind of just um, how it ends. So you have a theory. I do. Let's go ahead and get that theory out now before we start wrapping up the episode. Apparently I'm not the only one with the theory because I read someone uh, today post the same theory on uh, Facebook on a, on a different group which makes me think that there might be some traction to this if it you know if it might be real or not my theory is that these mummy monks as we're putting them might be a holographic projection in the fake world scenario of some villains that we might have seen before that being the mondasians mm. the mondasian <laughs> You mean the Mondasian <laughs> Cybermen? I'm thinking possibly pre-Cybermen Mondasians. Aha! Well, there's something <laughs> interesting. <laughs> or, or possibly previous to seeing full Cybermen Mondasians, maybe partial cybernetic Mondasians or something of that nature. And what makes you think this? Well, I've, I've got a few reasons why I think this. One is the way they speak is the exact same way that we've seen them speak in Classic Who. Yes. Where the Cyberman opens his mouth and the voice just spills out. Yes. That is very, very, very much the same as the classic Cyberman that we've seen in the past. Another thing is the the way that they move is not exactly Cybermen-like, but it, it feels similar to the Cybermen, if you get my meaning. It, it has a slightly stiffer... You know, kind of jaunty kind of feel to it. 
Well, they are mummies. Right. <laughs> but also, if you look at the way that their faces look with the hollow eyes mm-hmm. and the noseless face, that comes off as very Cyberman-like as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Now, this being said, those could just be things that I'm reading into. But another reason I kind of feel like that we might be seeing this as a possible uh, scenario, and the reason I have this theory is that uh, Peter Capaldi has personally requested uh, for an extended period of time, at least two or three years, he's been requesting to Stephen Moffat to please let him be in a origin story for the Cybermen. (laughs) Sort of a Genesis of the Cybermen type story, the same way that we had Genesis of the Daleks. Because uh, Peter Capaldi loves the Cybermen, he loves them as a villain in general, and he's always wanted to see that kind of a story told for the Cybermen. And so he's been requesting for a long time that Stephen Moffat allow him to do that at some point in his run. And this would be the last opportunity that we have for the two of them to be able to do that. Right. We have the scenario where we know that we're going to see the Mondasian Cybermen by the end of this season. So I'm kind of wondering if this is going to be a buildup over the last six episodes of this to eventually see these characters as the Mondasians become the Mondasian Cybermen that we see in the 10th planet. It's entirely possible. <laughs> now, the one thing I'm going to say is um, I don't think these are holographic projections because I think they're real because in the uh, the clip for next time, we do see them out in the real world. Okay. Um, the, these these monks. Okay. So I don't think they're, they're projections. I don't think they're holograms. I think that's actually them. Okay. So they're they're out and about. They're, they're in this pyramid that we're going to see next week. Okay. Um, so uh, I, I, that's the only quibble that I've got with the theory. <laughs> other than, well, you know, we don't have to have everything connect. Right. I mean, it's a convincing theory, and I would not be disappointed with it because I like the Cybermen. <laughs> Cybermen are, are some of my favorites, too. Yeah. I prefer the Cybermen to the Master. <laughs> not sure where, I'm, where I put the Daleks and the Cybermen together. Uh, it varies depending on my mood and what I'm watching. But I, I'm a fan of the Cybermen. I'm a fan of classic Cybermen more than modern Cybermen because the modern Cybermen have become almost like uh, robot toys for some other entity. You know, they're, they're, they've become henchmen. And Cybermen in the classic series, while, yes, they are emotionless robots of a sort, um, they always were moving in their own interests for the most part. Mm. You know, they had their own interests and their own agenda. Right. Which I feel has been lacking a little bit in the modern series. And so, if this is indeed the Mondasians pre-Cybermen transformation, then I would love that, because this is them preparing Mm -hmm. an invasion. Right. This is them, you know, gearing up for something on their own. This is them really scheming and and uh, doing something in their own self-interest. Now, you've seen The Tenth Planet, right? Yes, I have. I've seen it at least twice now. Okay. So I That um, is one of the ones that I have been unfortunate enough not to be able to see at this point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that part of the storyline in The Tenth Planet is that the Cybermen are intending on invading the Earth? Yes. Yes, because Mondas, brief, brief 
history of the 10th planet situation. Mondas is the twin planet of Earth and is positioned directly opposite Earth in the same orbit. So it's always behind the sun compared to Earth. Which is why we can't see it. Exactly, which is, which is why we can't see it. Yes. Now, Mondas's orbit is decaying, and it's about to die. And so the Cybermen have decided that they're going to take over Earth as a replacement to Mondas. That's the whole premise behind the 10th planet. So, take that as you will, and we'll see what happens. And um, we'll see what happens with the Doctor and these monks. The Mondasians use the Cybermen technology to expand their, their lifespan, right? Um... From what I gather and what I remember of the 10th planet, they've been Cybermen for a while. It was initially designed to enhance strength, intelligence, longevity, that sort of thing. Right. And then it just started taking over, and they started cutting out unnecessary things like emotions. Um, right. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's that too. But there are still bodies inside yeah. Cybermen. There's still living components inside the Cybermen that you know the, this metal is attached to. Right. But that being said, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I would be totally fine with these monks being the Mondasians. I think that would be really fun to see. Yeah. <laughs> and if you think about it too, if the orbit is deteriorating for Mondas, that could have something to do with the reason why they might look that way. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> All right. We need to start wrapping this up because we've talked a long time. All right, Paul. Final thoughts and rating. What what should we rate this? Huh. How many pages of River's Diary? Mm, there you go. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. All right. So, so lay it on me. You know, final thoughts and, and rating here. I think I really enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to overall and and i'm not gonna lie about it it took me a couple of viewings to really sink my teeth into this but after seeing it two or three times i gotta give it a higher rating um i'm gonna give it like a nine actually i really enjoyed this episode yeah (laughs) i enjoyed this episode from the get-go i really like extremists (laughs) i like it a lot um and and it's it's a great setup for what's going uh, to happen here soon. And I'm I want to give it a really high rating, but because it is sort of just the setup, it's sort of just the the introduction to this uh, storyline that we're getting ready to dive into. I don't want to give it too high of a rating, so I'm going to set nine too. Oh, oh, but I really wanted to give it higher. I still wonder if we've both started out too high on our ratings. I know I was this close <laughs> to giving it a nine and a half, but it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning, and I need to know oh. where the rest of it goes. Um, oh, that being said, I'm going to stick with a nine. Nine pages out of River's Diary here for me too. Ooh, I'm really excited about where this is going. I'm thinking we should have started our ratings about one step lower. Throughout the season, just so we would have some headroom. <laughs> well, uh. who's to say we can't go over ten? We can turn it up to eleven there you or go. fifteen. There you go. <laughs> um, Forty-two. <yeah. laughs> Forty-two. I'm going to give it a thirteen because that's the next doctor we're getting. There you go. I <laughs> uh, no. I'm kidding. Yeah, no, I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna stick with nine for extremists. Yeah, <laughs> nine out of ten. Oh my goodness, I'm really excited about this, and I want to hear what you guys want to say about this. So, 
please, please tell us your thoughts on extremists. Go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords, uh, where you can either comment directly on the page or find our Talking Time Lords group. It is a closed group, so you'll just have to request to be a member. We'll let you in, where you can get on an even more in-depth discussion and bring up your own topics. We're not yeah. just talking about the, the episodes here. We are talking about anything else that you want to bring up. So that's there at facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. You can always tweet us at, at Talking Time Lord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, links to all of our social media, previously released episodes, and our little store uh, can be found at TalkingTimeLords.com. Pick up a t-shirt! Yes! You can also find links to our Patreon page for the Thunderclack Podcast Network if you wish to help support the show that way. As always, please leave us a rating, review, on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you find our delightful little podcast where we just ramble on and on and on and on about Doctor Who, because that's the fun thing to do. And we would greatly appreciate that. Please tell your friends all about the show, because we want the conversation to get bigger, we want more people involved, and we want to hear all the crazy thoughts and theories, so I can say, ha, that's silly. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I won't I won't dismiss your theories just because they're weird. I mean, i got to do a podcast with Paul for crying out loud. No, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, man. I'm, I'm getting tired and slap happy. We want you to spread our show like a cybernetic virus. <laughs> yes. You are now our cybermats, and you're spreading the disease. The disease that is talking time wars. Wow. This just keeps getting worse. <laughs> But it's exciting! Yes, we are the ones behind your simulation now. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Since when did we become the evil geniuses, Paul? Hey, I'm Pinky. I don't know about you. <laughs> Pinky, are you pondering what I'm pondering? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And with that, I, uh, I think we're done. I think we're done here. Uh, thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening to this episode of Talking Time Wars. This has been episode number 71, Veritas. That means truth. For <laughs> Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time, may you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
Well, I couldn't exactly say Missy now, could I? No, no. <laughs> Missy full dreams? I don't think that works quite right. <laughs> oh, man. You've been keeping that comment locked in a vault for the last couple episodes. How did you know? <laughs> <gasps> well, I figured it out by four episodes in. <laughs> Oh, nice. Oh, man. <laughs>